Friday. It's Fan Drive Time. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. What a fun baseball time we could be having this weekend. I mean, it'll be fun either way. Packed house tonight, by the way. I just checked uh, tickets scantily available through the main lines of acquisition. By the words, uh, I mean MLB.com, like BlueJays.com. Uh, secondary market, they are very expensive. 100 bucks get in price to uh, watch Shohei Otani and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Uh, he just completed the greatest single-day performance in Major League Baseball history. Like that's, that's not an exaggeration. He's like one of two people in the history of the sport to ever throw a shutout and hit a home run on the same day, doubleheader, as they swept it against the Tigers. Yes, he had two home runs in the second game. He was removed with what looked like an injury. Turns out it was just cramping. But yeah, he's really, really good. He's having maybe his best season ever. And and now he's motivated by a potential postseason run. Uh, tonight, it's Kevin Gossman against Lucas Giolito, who the Angels just acquired in trade when they decided to pivot from shopping Shohei Otani to acquiring baseball players to play alongside him. So here are the stakes. Blue Jays could sweep the series. And the Angels could look ridiculous or more ridiculous than having the greatest player of all time and then the greatest player who's ever had an individual season of all time and not making the playoffs. They could look even more ridiculous at the conclusion of the series being six games back of a playoff spot. Or, other side of the coin, Angels could sweep the Blue Jays tied record-wise, and they would own the tiebreaker because the Blue Jays took two out of three. Remember that? That was the first road trip of the season. Uh, Angels home opener, Blue Jays took two out of three, and what an exciting series that was. Um, If... The Angels sweep, though, they would own the season series and they'd be tied record-wise with the Blue Jays. Or, you know, like there's that middle ground where somebody takes two out of three and it's essentially the same conversation as we head towards Tuesday's trade deadlines. It's going to be fun, though. One of those exciting, exciting series uh, as we approach August and the stakes keep ratcheting up. Let's talk to Caitlin McGrath, athletic uh, Blue Jays reporter who's down at the ballpark. How's it going, Caitlin? It's good. It's too hot, but it's good. Yeah, it was stupid hot. It, I, I'm with you. Like, it's it's one of those. I love being outside. I kind of force myself to be outside because we spend so much time uh, being freezing and, 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 and desperately needing to be inside that I force myself to go outside. But, like, when you're just sitting and sweating, that's a little much, in my opinion. Are you the same way? Yeah, I, I force myself to go outside, too. And I do like being outside. Um, but like the sweaty walk to the ballpark mm. is just not the best. It's not what you want. Uh, a lot of sweaty people though tonight down at, at the ballpark. As I mentioned, I, I looked at the available tickets on bluejays.com. It's not many. And I, I, I know a lot of people thought Shohei'd be starting this game, but he started game one of the doubleheader yesterday. Is there a buzz? Is there a palpable buzz? Caitlin, you've been down to all the, the home games. Is this like the most buzzy home game we got going on? It seemed pretty busy outside, like uh, on my way here and around the Rogers Center. I did see some Angels jerseys, some people in Shohei Otani, like T-shirts. So that's kind of unusual. Like occasionally you'll see like opposing jerseys and stuff, uh, more so for like Red Sox and Yankees and stuff. Um, Don't really see that many Angels jerseys, but there was a few. So it does feel exciting here. And, I, you know, I know a few people that were – buying tickets in anticipation of seeing him pitch tonight. Not going to happen, but mm. still see him hit. 
Yeah, they will, and he's been pretty good at that as well, uh, as exemplified by the two-home run game in the second game of the double dip yesterday. Are you surprised at all? And I know the Angels have said, hey, hitting in both games of the doubleheader ahead of getting ready to pitch in a in a game was too much. But, I mean, if 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 he was capable of, of, of doing the opposite and starting in today's game, do you think the Angels would have been better served to have him start against the team that's, one, got a better offense than the, the Poultry Tigers offense, and two, the team they're directly chasing for the American League wildcard uh, third spot there, a playoff position? Yeah, probably. I mean, when you put it like that, I think this is the more important game um, between the two. You know, I get their reasons for it, and he can obviously, I mean, he's such a unicorn player that he can help you still win, um, even when he's not pitching, because he can hit. So, um, but yeah, especially knowing the Jays were putting Kevin Gosman on the mound, um, you know, he's their Blue Jays' best pitcher. He's, you know, hard to hit against as well, so it probably would have served them better to have Shohei Otani, but um, you know, they have Lucas Giolito now, and, uh, you know, he uh, pitched pretty well against the Blue Jays the last time, obviously, when he was with the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Um, they won that game, but he pitched well. Uh, and um, so I guess they have, they feel like they have a good chance with him, too. Yeah, uh, they, they, they do. They have a, a fair shake. Not as good as the guy who throws 100 and had uh, a one-hitter again against the yeah. Detroit Tigers <laughs> yesterday. Uh, but the Blue Jays have their own ace on the hill. Kevin Gossman, who's making a second start since the All-Star break, uh, and second start since he was sidelined a little bit with left side discomfort. He gave up four homers in Seattle. Caitlin, I know you're you're still we're waiting the the first media availability by the Blue Jays, but yeah, that's we're not used to seeing Kevin Gossman necessarily give up four homers to a Mariners team that's not exactly the 27 Yankees on, on offense. What are you expecting? Like, where, where do you think uh, Kevin Gossman is physically at this point? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a question, right? Like, I think in that Seattle start, his velocity was also down, and so that's not what you want to see from him, too. And there was probably different things factoring in. Like, maybe it was rust. Um, he had not pitched in a while. Um, and obviously the side thing is probably still something to monitor. So today's start will probably be pretty big in terms of answering that question of, you know, where Gosman is. And, you know, these handful of starts from, you know, basically all their pitchers, or at least um, Gosman, um, Ryu, whenever he gets on the mound, and Manoa, and Kikuchi, for that matter, too, are going to be kind of important for the Blue Jays because it's like, they got to assess what they have. They have to assess if they need to do anything at the deadline. They might need to assess, like, if we go to a six-man rotation, then cut down to five, who's the person that we cut? So it feels like a lot of these um, starts are pretty important, not just for, like, the Blue Jays for winning games, but also sort of, like, to determine, like, the team moving forward in a way. Do you, so you, you think it's still up in the air as to whether they go to a six-man rotation? Because this is the start of 17 and 17. You still think that that's a question? Well, it probably is going to happen. I mean, we just haven't got confirmation of it. I, I imagine when we go downstairs today and ask Josh Schneider, like, the first question will be, like, when is Hunjin Ryu pitching and are you guys going to a six-man? So, like, it's probably going to happen. I guess we just don't 100% know. But if it does happen, then they'll use that for a time. But I don't think it's going to be um, permanent for the rest of the season, right? Like, it's mm. going to be probably used for this stretch of 17-17, and because um, it's a good time maybe to insert an extra starter and give your guys rest, especially leading into September, which is going to be a really important time for them. But, um, yeah, I think there's going to be an end of the line for that six man, and then you will pro- probably have to make a decision, right? 
Yeah, which is is interesting. Like I, I generally like the idea of internal competition. That that that's that seems good to me. Like I like that that potential. But yeah, what if Hunjin Ryu looks great and Alec Manoa looks not so great? <laughs> what 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 do we have there? Like Alec Manoa as like the long man in the in the bullpen or back down uh, to the minor leagues. Like what what could the the potential fallout of Hunjin Ryu looking really good be? Yeah, it, it honestly probably would be that. It would come down to. Uh, probably a decision between like a, a Manoa and a Kikuchi. Maybe. I mean, Kikuchi's looked great as last few so starts. Good. And I would say overall, like the season, like mostly good for him. I mean, there's been a few hiccups here and there, some hard hit balls, but he's done a really good job of keeping the ball in the ballpark his last couple starts. And he really looks like he's, um, you know, finding his rhythm and his form. And yeah, like if Hunden Rio looks really good and he looks like your best, um, best chance at winning games, then yeah, you will have to make a hard decision. Like, does Kikuchi fit better in the bullpen than Manoa? Yeah, he does. Um, he can throw hard. He has some limited experience coming out of the bullpen. But, I mean, also you have to think, like, who's pitching better and who gives you a better chance to win. Um, and it could come down to a really hard decision between, you know, sending someone to the bullpen. Um, you know, Manoa's not necessarily a guy that profiles for the bullpen, Um yeah, potentially long man, but you know, he doesn't throw that hard. Um, he's more, you know, just built as a starter, and I don't think he really has much experience, um, especially lately coming out of the bullpen. So that would be a really tough decision um, for them. And, you know, one of the things is, like, sometimes these things just work themselves out. And I, I would say we also have to say it's, it's a fairly big if to know what you're going to get from Hunjin Ryu. Um, I mean, yeah, he's looked good in his rehab start, but there's a huge difference between triple-A hitters and, and major league hitters. So I think we'll probably have to figure out uh, where they're going to go once we sort of see, you know, all the cards on the table and see what they have. Yeah, and I'm going to do an unfair thing, make you speculate on something that you're going to find out definitively in like 20 minutes. <laughs> because, uh, Hanjin, he's apparently not going to start in this series, right? The weekend series against the Angels, which like if you were looking for a, a soft landing spot for him to, to resume his major league career, that would be the series, not against the Orioles, certainly not in Boston against the the Red Sox. And then after that, sure, you, you get the, the Guardians in Cleveland. But that's, I mean, if you're going to use a six-man rotation, you want it before you go once through the rotation, you would think. Like, that's the whole benefit of the six-man rotation. So uh, I guess you're starting Hunjin Ryu against the juggernaut that is the Baltimore Orioles. That seems like a, like a tough return to the major leagues. Hey, Hunjin, uh, hope you feel good. Uh, let's 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 see you against like the upstart, uh, uh, hot hitting and and best team in in the American League, Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, no, that is a tough assignment. Um, I mean, Blue Jays have information that I don't have. You know, maybe there's something that they can see that the matchup makes sense for him. Maybe they want to start him at home, but they didn't want to start him in this Angels series because of everything that's happening with the Angels series. Um, I get why you wouldn't want to start him with Fenway. But yeah, like Baltimore's a tough lineup. Uh, they hit the ball hard. They hit a lot of home runs. Uh, they're a pretty difficult lineup to navigate, um, especially for any starter, uh, let alone a guy that's coming off more than a year away and is fresh off a Tommy John surgery. And is a soft tosser to begin with. So yeah, like that's a tough assignment. Um, but you know, at some point they're going to have to insert them in there and you know, there's, there's not a great opportunity to, um, like you said, this, this series probably would have been the softer of landing spots. Um, but it's not happening. So, uh, yeah, I guess you'll know pretty quickly what you have in him. (laughs) That's the upside of it. 
if you start him against Baltimore, which probably seems likely just doing the math in your head. It's like, you got to start him at some point. Yeah. Uh, I guess. <laughs> and and this is a, a Baltimore team that the Blue Jays have only won uh, one game against in the six that they've played, have seven remaining uh, head-to-head. And now, like, the, the division title is not something that's as out of reach as it felt like when they were double digits back of the race. Yeah, like, Caitlin, do you think... Because going into this year, it was, hey, yeah, World Series, right? Sure, goal. But, like, the in-season goal is to win the division. And it felt like, because the Rays got off to this insane, insane start... The Blue Jays handed them their, their first loss of the season, first series loss of the season as well. But that it, it felt like, oh, well, that's the Rays are having this otherworldly season. And I, I guess you can put that in the rear view. And I know it's five and a half games back. The Blue Jays are of the Orioles. But like I said, seven head to head matchups against the Orioles still to come this season. Got to play better than one and five, though. But is that back to being on the table as as a legit regular season goal for this team? I think so. But I think that this week will really determine it. Like if they can you know, win three or four against the Orioles and close that gap a little bit, then you're really thinking, okay, like there's going to be a race here. They lose like all four to the Orioles. Then it's like, okay, like let's just get the wild card. Um, So I really think like at the end of this week, once they play that Baltimore series, and then not to mention even the Boston series as well, um, that you'll kind of be able to say maybe not once and for all, but certainly have a better feel for if they're going to have a race for the division or if Baltimore is just going to like comfortably run away with it. I mean, the Rays are also a factor too. They've been playing awful this month, but um, presumably they'll kind of get out of their slump at some point and play better or make it interesting. Um, We'll see. But yeah, I I do think the team still believes the division is in play. Um, Five and a half is attainable. There's still plenty of games left, not just against the Orioles, but just in general. Um, so I think it's on the table, but I really think this series upcoming is very much going to matter in determining that. So you wrote a, a story after the six-game road trip. Blue Jays are having a good season, so why isn't it quite felt that way? I, I agree 100%, and, and I agree with the number of the points that, that you made. I also agree with John Schneider when he says that we haven't clicked on all cylinders like at any uh, for any prolonged stretch of the season, right? Starting pitching has been pretty consistent, but yeah, the the offense hasn't been what it could be, I suppose. Like, do, are are you still hopeful that this team can can look like it's supposed to look, or is this like at this point now? Is we're almost in August? It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think any team can have a real hot stretch and look really good. And I don't know that the Blue Jays have had that necessarily. Like, they've weirdly been so actually steady since basically the end of May. Their record is best in the American League if you're um, looking overall since, like, the end of May. Um, So they've actually been doing their part, you know, winning most series, taking two out of three, three out of four, um, sweeping some series. Yeah, they've lost some series too, but it's all added up to just being actually, like, quite good and quite consistent. Um, but it does feel like they haven't had a stretch of games where they're just like dominating the other team. Like a lot of those wins, I think I wrote in the piece, like it's something like they've only had nine wins by more than three runs. Yeah. Um, like since June 1st, I think. Um, and so like, it's because I think a lot of the games have felt kind of like tight and stressful. That's like, okay, they won, but like you were kind of like holding your breath until the very last out of the ninth inning to know that they won. So I think that's why it's, hasn't really felt like overwhelming, like, oh, this is the best team in the American League going for the past two and a half months. 
um, because it's like everything feels like a bit of an uphill battle for them to get there. And so I, I do think, like, I would say, like, the Dodger series, um, even though kind of disappointing because they actually had a chance to sweep and they just took two to three, but I thought, like, the offense actually was clicking quite a bit um and you know the Dodgers are a good team the Dodgers are a really good team at home and yeah their strength is honestly their lineup as opposed to their pitching um but like the fact that the Blue Jays you know scored eight runs um and then they scored you know six runs or seven runs um in a few of those games and so that actually is kind of encouraging to me it's like oh maybe finally like this offense is coming around and clicking a little bit because all season long, they've been getting on base a ton. They've been hitting for average. They've been doing everything right. It's just like they're missing that one big hit. And so finally that normalizing a little bit maybe could put them on a run. And then, yeah, you're talking about a team that gets really hot at the right time. Yeah, that that can normalize a little bit, and especially the hitting with runners in scoring position part. But, yeah, I, I wonder if that's not the main area of need or or the main area that Ross Atkins is trying to address, uh, address before Tuesday, that being the offense in, in some way. Do you think that's the number one priority for this team? I think so. I feel like I have changed my mind a little bit, and I think, like, a few weeks ago I thought, like, pitching depth was a little bit more important because there was like these questions about Manoa and even Gosman and then Ryu. But like now there seems to be some momentum towards them having six starters and having some depth. Well, I still think it's kind of scary thin because you really don't have anyone below them. So you're really like hoping nothing goes wrong, which again is like still kind of unnerving, I think. Um, So pitching, I think remains a priority, but maybe it's they dress it more creatively, whether it's like getting some sort of, long man for their bullpen or like a swing man type, a guy that could be depth starting, but also could go into your bullpen. Um, maybe it's adding like another reliever there that can kind of give some other guys some rest. Um, but I do think offense is something they need to address. I think getting that right-handed hitter is a huge priority for them. Um, there's a lot of options out there for them. And I think it's probably a priority and it's one that's fairly attainable, um, which probably makes it, something they should get done um it's like you know it's not a hard um, void to fill so um that i think is going to be something that we'll see them do in the next few days but it also wouldn't surprise me if they do something on the pitching side and maybe it's a little bit creative um but i think they probably should address it as well yeah i mean they, they did a pretty good job on the waiver wire with uh Yenesis cabrera at least in, in in early returns he looks real real good and jay jackson doesn't look like he's headed down to the minor leagues anytime soon and might be a guy that they look at and leverage the one guy that sticks out obviously and maybe it's no fault of his own it seems like it's at least partly fault of his own mitch white who was supposed to be in the conversation to be this team's fifth starter coming out of camp. And then obviously the injury knocked him out of that position. And you say Kikuchi has been so good. He hasn't had an opportunity really to stretch himself out. And when he's appeared in baseball games, whether that's minor leagues or major leagues, has been real bad. It's out of options though, Caitlin. Um, and I get it. Like, I suppose something can happen before Tuesday to get him off the 40 man roster. And they, they, they just traded for him a year ago. So you don't want to just hand somebody away for nothing, but that, it feels like like poor roster management at this point for a, for a team that has World Series aspirations. And not that they were going to win that middle game of, of the Dodgers series anyways when it goes to the bottom of the, the 10th inning. But yeah, Mitch White in that game means it's an automatic loss. That that feels like something that has to resolve itself. Well, yeah, it's, just, it's not uh, a good use of a roster spot. Like, you know, you have 26 roster spots and you got to use every single one of them fairly carefully. And I think... The last spot on the sort of lineup or bench for the Blue Jays 
maybe hasn't been used as effectively as it could have been. And I think the last spot on the bullpen hasn't been used as effectively as it could have been. And I think those are two things that you got to address at this deadline. And, you know, even before then, you might have a re- resolution on Mitch White because at some point they're going to need to um, activate Ryu and get him back on the roster and create a 40-man spot for him. And yeah. um, there's, there's ways that you can do it without Mitch White. But, I mean, it's going to come down to a decision in days here, I think. So maybe you can trade him before that and so that you're not getting him for nothing. I mean, potentially he sneaks through waivers. I don't know. Mm. Um, Trent Thornton didn't, though. And, like, I think this is a time that um, guys are (laughs) – teams are, like, looking for – Something, right? And there's probably a team out there like the Royals or something that would take Mitch White on, right? Like, what do they have to lose? Um, So I think that probably we're coming up on a decision on that. And, yeah, the Blue Jays probably are looking to trade him just to get something back. But they might not have that opportunity. But they they do – they're going to have to lose a reliever anyway. If you're going to six starters, you're going to have to go to seven relievers. And, uh, I mean, ultimately they've been actually using basically seven relievers all season anyway. No, it's true. He's just been, yeah, I, I guess the human victory cigar or in the, the case of the middle game of the Dodgers series, a guy that's uh, a desperation play. Hey, Caitlin, uh, appreciate the time. Enjoy the game today. Thank you. Try not to sweat too much. Very hot. I won't. <laughs> See ya. There's Caitlin McGrath, uh, the athletic Blue Jays reporter getting set for Blue Jays and Angels down at Rogers Center. It's a great point, actually, about the, the Ryu activation and besides Tuesday being the trade deadline and and maybe being able to work in Mitch White into trade discussions, even as like just a little sweetener, a little cherry on top of a deal. Hey, you can also have a guy that we traded for, Mitch White, has some major league experience, affable fellow. Could we interest you? Uh, there's also, boy, that's part of maybe even the reason why Hunjin Ryu is not being activated for this series is that you want to delay that decision until you absolutely have to activate him off of the 60-day IL, which means you need to free up a 40-man spot. There's dudes out there that, yeah, you could DFA, no offense, Ernie Clement, who came up with a big hit this season. He was a guy. Or like uh, Thomas Hatch, you could, you could I, I, I think, pretty safely, no offense, Thomas Hatch, who had a moment too, uh, DFA off the 40-man roster. Yeah. Mitch White might be that guy, I think, right now. Uh, we'll see. Uh, so Blue Jays and Angels this weekend. Looks like a sellout like almost every single game. I mentioned today there's like perilously few tickets available. The renderings are out. I'm sure you've seen them uh, for the Roger Center renovations. Next season, they look good. Lack of foul territory, which is, I guess, good for the offensive players. Maybe a, a pushback to what we've seen offensively out of Roger Center this year. I will say... Despite like maybe the postseason success not yet coming for this Blue Jays team, Mark Shapiro, when he arrived here, it was a twofold thing, right? Well, one, he wanted the ability to work with a team where the budgetary constraints weren't quite the same as Cleveland. Also, he wanted a little bit more, he wanted to be a little bit more hands-on with the baseball operations department, which I guess he was moving away from in Cleveland. But also he wanted to oversee like the business part of the Toronto Blue Jays. And what was sold to ownership was, hey, I can bring people into this building. I mean, so far, so good. Blue Jays attendance up 4,000 fans per game to this point in the season over last year. And it's only August now, right? Like the the attendance is starting to spike at this point in the season when it is stupid, stinking hot. And the Blue Jays are in a, a pennant race 
And you've been down there. It's a real fun time down at, at, at the ballpark. So, yeah, can't argue with what Mark Shapiro has done from that perspective. Uh, Angels, as I mentioned, uh, six games back, the Blue Jays for uh, that final playoff spot. Sorry, three games back of the playoffs. 11 years ago when they changed the postseason rules and and before there was a second wild card even though, the Angels would be seven back. So uh, they have that to be thankful for. And honestly, you look at the teams that are now involved in the postseason chase, there's not like a, a sad sack franchise. They all exist in the American League Central. Also, before we take the break, Aaron Judge has now been officially activated off the I.L., for the New York Yankees as they open up a huge series against the Orioles, Orioles-Yankees before the Blue Jays welcome in Baltimore for four games. Yankees were not in first in the American League East when he went down, but like on their way to a 91-win campaign at 35-25 and 25 when he hurt his foot slamming into the wall in right field at Dodger Stadium. They've been 19-23 since. That's as much a one-man team as you can have in, in Major League Baseball, and as great as Shohei Otani is, I think the Yankees are honestly more of a one-man team than even the Angels. And here's the good thing about the Blue Jays. you say something positive about the Blue Jays right now. I mean, Vlad is supposed to be this guy, but how many of the Blue Jays' position players, if it's just one guy and he goes down, do you think the Blue Jays are unable to replicate what he's produced? How many Aaron Judges are there on this Blue Jays team? And that's obvious. There's none. But like, okay, maybe you can talk about Kevin Gossman being a guy or, boy, Jordan Romano, as much as you love to hate on him, we can, or you can see the potential for failure in the ninth inning, even for a guy that's having a good season in Eric Swanson. But, yeah, Vlad goes down for a couple of weeks. Honestly, I don't think... The Blue Jays are going through what the Yankees have gone through in the couple of months since Aaron Judge went down. Brandon Belt slides in every day for his base job, and maybe you get more Kevin Biggio, and I, I get it. Like, those guys aren't Vlad, but Vlad's not an MVP candidate. That's the whole thing about the Blue Jays lineup. There's one guy having an outstanding offensive season. It's Bo Bichette outside of him. Not really. Not really happening. All right, when we come back, uh, Joe Burrow seems to be okay. Not the case for Jalen Ramsey, though. We'll talk to Amy Trask, CBS NFL analyst, former Raiders CEO next. The Fan Drive Time continues. I'm Ben Annis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Annis. Hall of Fame game is a week yesterday as we will have NFL football preseason style, Jets and Browns, but uh, Aaron Rodgers' Jets debut in Canton uh, a week from Thursday. It's very hot in the city of Toronto. We have a body of water in the city as well. It's a lake, not the same as the Pacific Ocean, which is where we find our next guest, Amy Trask, CBS NFL analyst, former Raiders CEO. Amy, thanks for doing this. Uh, Lovely beach picture that you just sent. Well, yeah, and I'm about to retweet because this is what happens when one is getting slammed by waves at the beach. I put the wrong station in the tweet, so I'm about to hit tweet again, and (laughs) I will just let everyone know this is what happens when one is reporting live 
from the beach, even well, though I'm not really reporting. No, it's true. And and that just goes to show you how much I'm paying attention because I just saw my name in the tweet and I just hit retweet. Didn't even notice that, yeah, you did that. But no, uh, thank you for creating a new tweet with the proper Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I just hit Twitter. And handle. I just hit it right now. I just did it. I just did <laughs> okay. it. Well done. Uh, so Joe Burrow looks like he's okay. As It just looks like a calf thing. Like, boy, people were talking about Achilles uh, yesterday when he's carted off the field. So that's that's a breath of fresh air for, for Bengals fans. Not so great for Dolphins fans as Jalen Ramsey is going to have to have knee surgery on that left knee. Looks like a meniscus. As a former executive, like, there's only bad things that can happen here in these weeks leading up to the regular <laughs> season. What's it like to, to watch not just the preseason games but training camp games knowing that it's only negatives that can come out of them? Well, everything you just said, yes and yes and yes. Yes, it looks like Joe Burrow is going to be okay. The Bengals have let everyone know that. It is particularly scary in my experience when you see a non-contact injury because quite often when there's a non-contact injury, it signals something pretty, pretty darn bad. In the instance with Joe, looks like he's going to be fine. As you pointed out with Jalen, not the case. He's going to have to have surgery. And as to your point about training camp and the preseason the best way i can describe it is you stand on the sidelines and you hold your breath yeah and you know of course you don't literally hold your breath only sometimes you're literally holding your breath um it really look i remember time after time after time you know al would say to me we got to get him off the field and by for those of your listeners who don't know i'm referring to al davis the um owner of the raiders during my years with the team and, and there were times he would want people off the field and he wouldn't want people doing as much during practice. And I would often say to him, Al, we can't wrap them in bubble wrap. Mm. We can't do that. We've got to get ready for the season. And then we had a horrific, horrific injury uh, one summer. And I looked at him and I said, you know, there may be something to that whole bubble wrap theory. Well, and, and the preseason has evolved. and You know, it was... Uh... Well, the, the Rams kind of changed the game with how, how little their starters played in the preseason. It, it, it used to be that you would get at least some reps from the starters in the preseason. Like, we, we have moved quite a ways, Amy, from, from when you were a CEO with the Raiders, it does feel like. Well, boy, oh, boy, the league has moved um, from even before that. I mean, there was a time when there were, I think, six preseason games when I joined the league. And, look, I spent almost 30 years with the Raiders, so I saw the evolution over time. But when I started my career, there was a lot of hitting at camp, a lot of contact practices. Um, you played people all the time in the preseason games, and you're absolutely right. Uh, it has slowed tremendously. There's less contact in camp less padded practices, certainly a lot less hitting, a lot less contact, as I said. And now sometimes your starters aren't playing really at all until that third preseason game. And it's really a risk-reward analysis. Do you want to risk your players by putting them out there in the preseason? But the reward, if you do, is you may have a leg up in the early games of the regular season if you have put them out there and they don't get injured and your opponents haven't. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a different uh, different scenarios require different strategies. And I imagine, you know, when you're a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers leaving a franchise that you've been with your entire career and starting a, a new career with the, the New York Jets that you probably want a bunch of reps. I don't know how how many actual preseason game reps he's going to get. But but what do you expect uh, as as far as the Jets this season in an overall sense and, and how they 
they maybe try to transition Aaron Rodgers into that offense. And you know what? Maybe you can comment on, on Sean Payton talking about the pressure of being hard knocks, maybe <laughs> impacting that team. Um, you know, hard knocks is something most teams do not wish to do. The Jets were very candid that they did not want to do it. They were given the assignment and they're going to do it. I always bristle when I hear coaches or, or team management, but it's particularly coaches speak. And, and Solid didn't do this. He said, we're going to manage it. We're going to be fine. Um, but I always bristle when I hear coaches say, oh, you know, it's going to be a distraction. It's going to be a distraction. Look, your job as a coach is to manage things so that they don't become distractions. I've shared this story before, but we were flying home on a team plane. We were at a, on a road trip. We're flying home from the game. And a coach, not the head coach, um, but a very senior coach, marches up to me and just goes on and on about what a distraction it is that we don't have the right brand of candy bar on the team plane. And I looked at him and I said, if you're going to let a missing candy bar be a distraction, we've got a lot bigger problems than missing the kind of candy you want. Um, as to the Jets, uh, I think they're going to have to balance letting Aaron get used to the whole new system. He does have Nathaniel Hackett there. Yep. He's worked with Nathaniel a lot of years. They're going to be in sync. It's going to be something he's comfortable with. But he's doing something this year in the offseason that he didn't do last year with the Packers, which is working with his receivers to get on the same page as them. He didn't do that last year and then complained that they weren't on the same page with him. So, you know, he is putting in the time, and I think they're going to have to manage it very carefully during games. Yeah, I mean, Nathaniel Hackett has been a very effective coordinator. His time as head coach uh, with Denver didn't go so well, didn't last the season last year. And Sean Payton, boy, coming out strong out of the <laughs> gates. I mean, uh, throwing dirt on 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 the Jets and, and then specifically Hackett calling it the, the worst coaching job in, in NFL history. He walked it back a bit today, said he was over-caffeinated, right? Like that, that he, he maybe had one too many espressos to, to, to start his day before he did that interview with USA Today. But, I mean, you, you know how, how close NFL head coaches are, and they all understand that their jobs are on the line on a week-to-week basis. Is it surprising to see a head coach, even you know, for a guy that you're replacing, to talk that way about a, another head coach in the league? All right, I'll answer that in three ways. I like Sean Payton a lot. I was very surprised to see that. I do like the over-caffeinated excuse. I'm going to use that one going forward because <laughs> when I have too much caffeine, um, what is it my husband refers to me? My husband says that when I have too much coffee, I look like a hummingbird on speed. So I'm going to use that too much caffeine excuse going forward. You know, I wondered when I read those comments whether Sean had thought that he was talking off the record and, they, you know, and they ultimately weren't treated as off the record, whether maybe there was a miscommunication between him and the writer um, although I doubt that, I really doubt that given um, the credibility of the writer, maybe thought, Sean thought he said off the record and he didn't, or maybe he just wanted to say that and he said it too strongly because of all the caffeine. It is very, very unusual to see a coach speak that strongly and that candidly. Uh, it, it made for, for good content, though. And, yeah, he had his content hat on as a, a former member of the media as well. And for all the, the, <laughs> the spotlight he's talking about being on other teams, he, he sure put a lot on the Broncos after those comments. Amy, back to the beach you go. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for understanding my time constraint because I do have to get back to the beach, and I owe you some minutes going forward because <laughs> I messed up the tweet. All good, Amy. See ya. Bye-bye. There's Amy Trask.
CBS NFL analyst, former Raiders CEO. So that's that's it. I mean, Sean Payton, he was like, you know, it's not good when you put all the attention on yourself. I've seen it happen multiple times. And you say, look at me, look at me, look at me. And things are supposed to go well, and they don't end up going well. And that's in reference to another team in the New York Jets. And maybe it'll be borne out to be correct on that front. Looks like it's a pretty uh, ready-made project happening at the Meadowlands with an offense and a defense that looks, you know, just a quarterback away. We'll see. I would say, though, what you actually end up doing when you make comments like that is putting the spotlight squarely on yourself. That it's now the Denver Broncos that are going to be looked at a little bit more with scrutiny than even, well, maybe not the Jets. But, like, yeah, the, the, the Broncos were on our radar just because Sean Payton is getting paid a trillion dollars and Russell Wilson's also getting paid a trillion dollars. But, like, were expectations super, super high for that team considering how anemic the offense was a season ago, how disappointing their season was start to finish from a year ago? Nope. But now not only has Sean Payton put Nathaniel Hackett, eh, rightly on blast, uh, put the Jets less rightly on blast, but he's also put himself squarely in, in the crosshairs for this upcoming season. So, yeah, nobody wants to do hard knocks. I get it. And Amy's right, and that's why they enacted the rule that uh, a team eventually has to be forced into it. I found it interesting also. I, I just finished watching the uh, quarterback series, Peyton Manning's series. He's, like, got his fingers in every piece of media, whether it's uh, video or audio, um, on Netflix with Patrick Mahomes, Marcus Mariota, and Kirk Cousins. Apparently, they're having difficulty finding some quarterbacks to line up for that thing. Which, uh, I, you know, honestly, I get in, in the case of Patrick Mahomes, but he won the freaking Super Bowl and, and managed to welcome cameras in for the entire season. I don't know. Seems like there's more than a few quarterbacks that could use a, a little bit of a, a, a PR hit this upcoming season. All right. Canadian women's soccer team, they need a victory on Monday at the Women's World Cup in Australia against the hosts. Um, They've also come to an interim agreement on pay with Canada Soccer. Although the statement they released isn't exactly glowing. Doesn't really sound like everything's behind us now. Uh, Let's talk to Gareth Wheeler of One Soccer. How's it going, Gareth? I'm doing great. Just got off the golf course. Uh, I do not recommend walking when it's this hot and humid outside. Just a recommendation for anyone listening because I am absolutely exhausted, pal. No, you know what you got to do if you are walking, which I did, is you got to play at six in the morning, which I did this morning. That's that's where it's Smart. at, Gareth. Yeah. Smart. Thanks. Veteran move. Thank you. Uh, so what's going on here with the Canadian women and 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 Canada soccer? Boy, like I'm I'm waiting for the positive Canada soccer news, but uh, I mean, I guess this is a step in the right direction. At least they have something for for this World Cup. I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, far too often on, 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 on stations like this, you talk about labor disputes. We've been through it in the National Hockey League. We've been through it in Major League Baseball, NBA, you name it. And this is the process that we've undergone, what, for the last, like, 13, 14 months here with, uh, with, with Canada soccer. I, I don't even look at this as, like, a step in the right direction. It's just something that they had to get done. Same thing with the men heading into the Men's World Cup. It's just compensation how the players are going to 
um, receive compensation through the prize money at these World Cups is just something that simply has to be taken care of. But what's being underreported or not properly reported or ignored is why this is an issue. And that's because we're going through a process towards pay equity. And not only pay equity, but proportional uh, or programmatic equity in terms of the money that's put into the individual programs. Meaning, for every dollar that's put into the men's program, you know, it's going to be the same for the women's program as well, which is something completely different in the world of international soccer. And there's all of one country in the world that has a proper agreement when it comes to this, and that's the United States Soccer Federation with their players. And it took ten, or sorry, it took six years, Ben, to come up with this agreement, multiple lawsuits, and it took incredible concessions by the men's national team in order to provide these agreements, to provide the uh, women's national team of the United States with equal pay and equal programmat- programmatic distribution in terms of like what's being spent. So it, it's difficult. And by the way, the U.S. Soccer Federation lost $27 million last year. Jeez. So these are complex. These are complex issues. It's not easy. We're approaching something completely different in the world of football, and we're experiencing it right here in this country as well. Yeah, Canada soccer doesn't have $26 million. Like, I, 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 it, it seems like it's very much the case, Gareth. No, no, that, that no. It appears they have, like, more debt than, than maybe assets, as, as was reported that, you know, maybe a Chapter 11 filing upcoming would be in their future. I mean, the, them being the, the neighbors to our south and, and the, the most comparable soccer federation it, it it almost feels like this is headed only one way and it's it's to to mimic that that exact financial uh plan that they have in the united states is that fee like i i don't know we all sound like accountants here right but like they forced us into it but i do you think there's any other way than for canada soccer to look exactly like usa soccer when it comes to pay equity but this is one of the things that hasn't been reported properly, in my opinion, because Canada Soccer is offering that, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's going to cost them. They acknowledge that. In fact, the deal that was or the deal that was put on the table by Canada Soccer last June would have paid, if the men's and women's team both didn't get into the groups at the World Cup, they'd pay each and every men's and women's player $138,000 um, for participation in the World Cup. But, but guess what you need, Ben, in order to sign an agreement? It's not just the women's team. It's, it's the men's team and Canada soccer all to be on the same page. And, you know, if, if the men played more games of World Cup qualifying and the men's part of the World Cup where the men's World Cup is, is making $7.5 billion and the women's World Cup for the first time is deemed to be self-sustainable, um, there's, a, there's a significant gap there. And what's, what's happening here is a lot of fingers are being pointed in different directions on why this isn't being done. But when it comes down to it, you know, getting to that level of pay equity and getting both sides, the men's and the women's team, on the same page, it's difficult. And they don't say anything publicly against one another because they're, mm. they're making it seem like a united front. And you understand why. They're, they're trying to negotiate the best deal possible. The women have negotiated three or four CBAs before. This is the first time the men's national team will have ever negotiated a CBA. So there's a lot of things to get figured out here. It's complicated. And this is why it took the United States six years. You know, we're, we're 14 months into that process. And that's why it's ugly. It's difficult. It seems like the world is ending. It, it's just not. This is just part of the negotiation program, process. This is a CBA straight up. And we're going through all the ugliness that comes with these things. So like what you're saying is that it's the men's team that's holding this up, that they, 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 they maybe are not on board with equity as much as, as they'd want us to believe. 
well, you can, you can read both between the lines there. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> look, like they're, they're all, they all want more money, right? They all want more money, not only invested in them uh, in terms of their appearance fees and the prize money, but they also want more money put into their programs as well. So they're trying to find ways and reasons why that money isn't coming their way. This wasn't a problem before. When, when, when pay equity wasn't put on the table. But this is a game changer. This, this takes a lot more money for the Canadian Soccer Association to be able to fund both programs equally. It, it just does. When, when, when the two programs, in terms of what they bring in, have the potential to bring in completely different numbers. Yeah. Um, that, that's the reality of the situation here. And, and, and to be honest, the, the, the Canadian Soccer Association needs to grow and be better mm. and you know, be more robust in its own right. So there, there's, there's a lot of challenges here. And basically it comes down to there's not enough money to serve the purposes or means for everyone that's involved in the situation. Do you think this is related to the Canadian women's team going underground when it comes to, to media and not doing anything until they're they're forced to contractually on Sunday? Like, you think that's like a direct shot across the bow to Canada soccer that hey, we're we're not we're, we're doing like a work to rule type thing? I don't think so. I just think that the communications for Canada soccer for as long as I can remember hasn't been good enough. Hmm. You know, they just haven't held players to a standard that puts them in the best light or protects their best interests or. You know, this happened at the Men's World Cup as well. And it wasn't just with the players. It's like getting John Herbin to press conferences on time. Like, we've all been there. Speak to people, you know, within your company that covered the team. You've covered the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, speak to Arash Madani. Like, the, the headaches in terms of getting coverage, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's been a difficult situation for a long time. This is part of the Canadian Soccer Association needing to do better. Like, we're in an industry right now where coverage is shrinking. It's not getting... You know, it's not growing. And when reporters go over to cover the Women's World Cup halfway across the world, literally halfway across the world, and you're saying, no, you can't get coverage, what kind of message does that send? Mm. But and, and this, the, the women are, are wrong in, in, in this circumstance because they get the coverage, they want the coverage um, when it comes to their own CBA battle. But when it comes to competing at a World Cup, this should be a time where everyone's shining a light on them. This is the time to take advantage of exposure, get to know these players, get to know their story. I just I don't understand the move, but I think it comes down to just not an experienced communication team to reel them in and make sure that they understand not only the responsibilities to the media, but the responsibilities to their fans that are watching and listening over here in this country as well. So um, it, it's just part of the process where it needs to be rectified, needs to be better by Canada Soccer. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it's not ideal. No. I mean, I mean no. the be- the best solution though is just win, 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 and win big. Um, they need a win on Monday against Australia. How, how do you see them matching up? It's gonna be a tough game, <laughs> but for all the pressure on Canada, like when you're Olympic champions, and let's be honest, when they won, it, it wasn't because they just played teams off the field. It was a grind. They earned it. They had yep. to fight for every inch of the field. And they did so, and they came away with an Olympic title. So there's expectations that come along with that. But right now in Australia, I mean, <laughs> uh, there's far more pressure on the Matildas going into this game. They're, they've been missing their best player, Sam Kerr, the, basically the, the, the face of the World Cup in Australia. She's a top striker, top player for Chelsea, top player in the Women's Super League in, in England. She hasn't played. And... The, the 
think has been very elusive in terms of what the injury that she's actually dealing with. So there's frustration there amongst the press. Like, I think we're very nice to our women's national team and men's national team over here. They're just grinding them away. They're just saying, you got to be upfront with what the injury is. No lower body injury nonsense. Like, tell us what it is. And then they had two players that, 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 that picked up a concussion two days before their, their, their 3-2 loss against Nigeria in training. What's happening here? It's just, it's been a mess for Australia because there were high hopes coming into this competition. So it's going to be, it's going to be like must-see TV just because both teams really need to go out and win it. Canada, you know, need a win. Uh, well, they need a draw to advance, but they want to win the group. That's mm-hmm. how you avoid England in the round of 16, right? So both teams are going to be going for the win. Uh, it should be something else. But for all the pressure that's on Canada, double that to what, you know, Australia, what Australia is feeling right now. Yeah, uh, that'll be exciting. It's been uh, thrilling to watch Messi uh, play for Inter-Miami, which was not a surprise considering the guy looked pretty close to the peak of his powers uh, this winter at at the World Cup. But yeah, three goals in two matches, a couple of wins for what is still the worst team in MLS, at least from a points perspective. Apparently, Apple TV subscriptions have been through the roof. Like, Could you have expected anything better than than what MLS has received, albeit in, in short sample, but like... This is about as good as it gets. I mean, he opens up his MLS career with a free kick, extra time, goal, like or a stoppage time goal. It's ridiculous. He, he's pretty good, isn't he? The, the thing is, like, I, I try to objectively watch these games, and before he scored that goal, I'm like, he has zero interest in defending. Like, the, the player's like 10 yards away from him. He's like, oh, someone else can pick him up. Like, yet every time he's on the ball, he creates. He's just thrilling to watch. Uh, listen, MLS, you know, as much as you, you you miss out on maybe your local market in terms of the game being on cable, but partnering a company like Apple, who, who have like a long-term plan in mind, it's just such a genius move uh, for Major League Soccer. And it's going to take some time, right? Like all of, all of these things take time. But Messi has the chance to Beckhamize Major League Soccer like David Beckham did, which coincided with Toronto FC coming into the league, and the team has grown by leaps and bounds since that time. But I think what they've needed is an injection of superstardom on the field. Like they've turned into very much a developmental league, which is okay, which is, it, you know, is more sustainable long-term, but they need stars in order to get people to get excited about this league. And Messi right now, what is he like nine months off of winning the world cup and being the best player at it. Yeah. And, and he's bringing this to, to major league soccer in their new competitions leagues cup. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it, it's an absolute home run. It's a smash hit, but you know, it needs to be sustainable as well. So it can't be just messy. It has to be messy plus plus and incite all kinds of positive change. And that's a challenge for Major League Soccer and their owners right now, how to go about making proper change so they can take full advantage of this. Yeah, he's been stupid good. Uh, TFC's been stupid bad <laughs> all season long. But yeah. even since yeah. Bob Bradley was fired, their own five haven't scored a goal. Uh, Gareth, uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Pleasure, pal. I- I- enjoy the football and try to manage all the no- nonsense that's going on off the field right now. So enjoy the weekend. It's, uh, keep up the great work. You're doing a great job. Thanks, Gareth. You too. See you, man. Ciao. Uh, Gareth Wheeler of One Soccer. Yeah, TFC stinks. They always stunk, but, like, the stinking is, like, it, it's otherworldly. Like, we're, we're talking about, like, peak stinkage. I haven't scored a goal. Like, literally no goals since they fired Bob Bradley. All right, when we come back, it's Shohei Day. He's not starting. He's playing. Game one of three against the Blue Jays. Had the best 
day uh, baseball players ever had yesterday. We'll talk to Mr. Shohei Otani, Ben Verlander. He's been to Japan multiple times. Fox Sports analyst, brother of Justin, joins me next. The Fan Drive Time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Blue Jays Angels for three this weekend starting tonight. No show Otani. He pitched yesterday. He did, did yeoman's work. You know what? I saw a great tweet from Dallas Braden yesterday that, yeah, I know war is calculated. There's a big formula for war. I love war. I love advanced baseball statistics. But if Shohei Otani's day yesterday didn't result in him acquiring two war, then war makes no sense because he single-handedly won two baseball games, pitched a shutout in the afternoon, and then at night hit two home runs before, yeah, he cramped. I think I, I would have cramped too if I had the type of day that he had yesterday. So Blue Jays only have to worry about the offensive side of Shohei Otani. Let's talk to the the world's biggest Shohei Otani enjoyer, uh, Fox Sports analyst, Flippin' Bats podcast. It's Ben Verlander. How's it going, Ben? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Do you like being introduced as the world's foremost Shohei Otani uh, enjoyer? Because I think that is you, right? You know, if you're going to be in, and you, if you're going to be introduced as the world's biggest enjoyer of anybody, it might as well be the best baseball player to ever live. So I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you've been to Japan. You, you know him pretty well, yeah. I would say. Um, was yesterday is like the best day a baseball player's ever had in the history of the sport. Yeah, I think there's a good argument for that. I, I, I watched both games, and I've I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. Apparently, if you go back to like 1800, there was a guy that threw a no-hitter and hit two homers in a game. But from everything I've seen, that was the greatest day that a baseball player has ever had. And he's the only baseball player to ever hit, to ever throw a complete game shutout in one game. And in the next game of a doubleheader, hit a home run. And he hit two. I mean, by all it was it was the greatest day I've ever seen. It was remarkable. No, it's ridiculous. Um, and it does make you think that anything's possible for this Angels team, which still has ground to make up and teams to overtake to, to get into the playoffs in the American League, and they're adding, and we get to see Lucas Giolito for the first time as an angel today against the Blue Jays. Just straight up before we continue, Ben, do you think they made the right decision adding to this team with the the long odds that they have? You know, I I thought about this a lot the night of the trade, and then yesterday on my show you mentioned, I talked all about it. And my thoughts became that everybody that's, sitting on their couch watching TV can be an armchair GM and say, what are they doing? They need to trade him. Why wouldn't they trade him? Set it up for the future. But the truth is none of those armchair GMs have Shohei Otani on their team. And when you're talking about the greatest to ever do it, the greatest talent that we've ever seen, how to, I mean, it'd be very difficult to wake up in the morning and trade a guy away when you're sitting at the time, four games out of a wild card spot, four games out of a playoff spot with Shohei and with Mike Trout, who's one of the greatest to ever do it as well. So they went for it. And I will say that I, I respect it. And now they're sitting three games out. Um, they're behind the Blue Jays, who they have a series with right now. They can, I, I would say at this point, they, it's, in, it's in their court. You know, they have a good team. If, if they play good baseball, they should get into the playoffs. And if they don't, then they won't. Mm. But, you know, their GM said it yesterday himself. I, I can go to sleep at night knowing we at least tried. And it might not work, but we have the greatest player that we've ever seen. 
and we're in a place that we're able to go for it, and we're doing it. And you saw it yesterday. Shohei himself said, I'm just happy to be buyers. It's my first time in six years we've ever been buyers. I'm appreciative of that. I love this team, and, and I'm happy we're able to go for it. So uh, I would say that I respect the decision and I understand it. And uh, I, if I were the GM, I would struggle to, to trade him away. I get it. No, I, I do understand that. But, yeah, they're only guaranteed, you know, two-plus more months with, with the greatest player or the guy who's had the individual yeah. best seasons in the history of the sport. And then the greatest player in the history of the sport is going to return at some point from the handmade bone injury. Um, that being said, right, because you know that the future is uncertain, like how much more can you push in? Because there's still some holes on this team. Like they could use some more additions. Do you keep going? Well, one, to, to talk about the point you just made and something that I think should be acknowledged, if you were going to trade Shohei, you should have done it last year. Yep. At, at this point this year, it was too late. And if you go and trade him, you're not going to get a return that makes your franchise better for the next decade, or at least guarantee it. Last year, you could have. This year, it was too late. Uh, so I think they've committed to going – I think they have committed to going all in, and I don't think they're just done with Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. I think they're going to do a lot more. I wouldn't be surprised to see them out of bat here in the next couple of days and maybe even another arm. I, I think um, – I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think this team, as it currently sits, is – is done or or ready to be a playoff team as it sits. They need to get a lot healthier. And and one important thing here is, yeah, we can talk about Shohei staying and we can talk about Mike Trout coming back soon, but Zach Neto's been great all year. He's about to come back. Their catcher, Logan Ohapi, he's expected back at some point this year. Brandon Jury's coming back soon. So they have all of these names that uh, aren't – aren't technically deadline acquisitions, but if you think about it, they're getting healthy at the deadline and it's going to be a full push to the playoffs. And I absolutely think that their only move won't be the one we've seen. I do think they do more. Uh, team ahead of them, though, is getting a guy that hit 60 home runs last year back today. Aaron Judge activated off the IL for the Yankees. They got to pass the Yankees. They got to pass the Red Sox and they got to pass the Blue Jays. I mean, yeah, it's it's not a huge gap between all of those teams, but how do you evaluate the American League wildcard chase? Uh, the Blue Jays, it, it feels like they've underperformed. Like, yeah, if you, if you just go by, like, run differential, the Red Sox have a pretty good case, I guess, to, to be one of the top teams in that race. How do you evaluate just talent for talent, how the Angels stack up against those other three AL East teams? Yeah, I, I, I don't think as of right now uh, they have the – the pitching still, and now you have Shohei and you have Lucas Giolito, but I, I believe with their bullpen the way it is, and I still think they need another starter. Um, I, I think the AL wild card race that does include the Blue Jays, who I think are where they are while underperforming a bit this year. I predicted them to, to win the AL East. Their roster is unbelievable, and with the starters they have, I, I, I love that roster. The Yankees are getting healthy. Aaron Judge coming back today. Now, Aaron Judge doesn't solve all their issues. They have a lot more offensive issues and that Aaron Judge himself can't fix. They, they, I do think the, the Yankees need to do more. But with the rotation of Garrett Cole and Carlos Rodon and Aaron Judge in that lineup, they're great. They just have uh, – I don't know if the, if the Angels have the pitching as of right now, uh, three through five in the rotation – to, to get where they need to. I would still like to see them make another move. If I'm the Angels, I feel like I need one more pitcher in the rotation. You know, it's interesting to think about because, yeah, uh, Otani 
he he only starts every five days, right? And he still made twenty starts this season. There's one start uh, that he hasn't made under extended rest circumstances. I wonder if they they get. I you know it's so tough because there's a guy that had injury history uh, not that long ago. But like, I wonder if they start getting aggressive with Otani and not like I'm not talking about a CC Sabathia Brewers thing where they started him what like every three days when they they acquired him in trade, but like. Do you yeah. think we get some some you know the Angels kind of maybe pushing Shohei further than he's ever gone before as well? I think I think to your point, I think we saw that yesterday. I think uh, I don't I don't think in a typical world, if it's the first month of the season or if the Angels are out of it, I don't think we see Shohei throw a 111 pitch complete game in Game One and then an hour later start as a DH in that game. I I, I only think we saw that. Because they said, hey, Shohei, we're all in. We're keeping you. This is your team right now. Put us on your back and let's go. And I know a lot of, a lot of what happens with Shohei is his decision. So I would absolutely see a world in which Shohei was approached about playing in game two. And he said, absolutely, I'm in there. So, yeah, I do think we see him pushed harder than we've ever seen him pushed before. And I think that's yesterday why we got arguably the greatest day that we've ever seen in baseball. No, that's a great point. Um, so he, he he's not a closed book, but and and I don't know how much you know goes on outside of the the lines of play when it comes to Shohei Otani. But yeah, you you've you've been to his home country, you've been to Japan, so maybe you have some insight into this. Like we're trying to evaluate what he wants, right? And and he he wants to win. We understand that. He's also like not going to take less than he's uh than he deserves and on the open market when it comes to free agency there's some report that he wants to say uh on the pacific coast like wh- what is your inkling as far as what shohei is going to prioritize this offseason i think prioritize is is winning i think that's the priority and i think what's important to to understand with him is how loyal he is and the the angels were the one organization to give him a shot to do both. And I think he is extremely appreciative of that. And I think, look, I, a, a month ago, two months ago, I would have told you him re-signing with the Angels is a long shot. But with, with them getting back in it, going all in, proving to him they want to win and they're willing to do what it takes, I, I think it's a little bit less of a long shot. So I would say priority is winning. But if the Angels can prove to him that – they are able to win. I think that loyalty that he has and uh, want to win with the Angels, we heard him say it yesterday, and he, didn't, he wouldn't have just said this. We heard him say that uh, he, loves, he loves his team. He loves the fans. He loves the fan base. He loves playing for the Angels, and he likes being there. And I think that was a statement, and I, I don't think it was a coincidence that that statement came out hours after they made the trade for Lucas Giolito. And he threw a complete game one hitter. I, I don't think any of that's a coincidence. I think he's extremely appreciative of his organization going all in. He's going to do his part for that organization. And if they can continue to do their part, I would not be surprised at all if he, uh, if he stays there. You know, uh, uh, as, as much as, yeah, it would hurt the Blue Jays' chances to, to get into the postseason, uh, seeing Shohei Otani go ham this weekend, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's also like, I, I, I feel like likely... And, and, you know, he might have been energized by the, by the Angels acquiring uh, players at the deadline and believing that the postseason's in, in his sights. Like, we haven't seen him in even a postseason race here, Ben, but we have seen him in the World Baseball Classic 
looked pretty damn good getting the final out against Mike Trout. Like, what what, what kind of Shohei could we be looking at for these final two months here? Yeah, I, I think he's going to continue to put on a show. One thing I think is, you know, he's in the limelight right now because of all the trade talk that was there and his future and his uncertainty there. Um, so there's a lot more, even more than there was before. A lot of people watching everything he does. One thing I, I saw it a ton yesterday of, oh, Shohei Otani kicked it up a notch. I would actually disagree with that. He's been doing this his entire career. This is what he's been doing for three years now, every single day. And you put, you put two games on the schedule in one day, well, that's what we're going to get. And I know it was his first complete game of his career, but we're going to get a dominant start on the mound and we're going to get two homers in the next game. You know, you put three games in a day and he'll continue to do the same thing. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm sure he's energized by the, by the race that they're now in. And we've heard him talk about it before, how when the team was in it, he, he felt all in. And it, it was a struggle for him when the team was out of it to keep up with uh, the rest of the league and to, to stay as focused as possible. So, yeah, I think energy-wise, he'll, it'll allow him to keep going as hard as he can. But he's been doing this for three years now. This is the greatest three-year stretch we've seen in the history of Major League Baseball, and he's continuing to do what he's done for those three years. And uh, we're lucky to get to watch it, and hopefully we get to watch him in a, in a playoff race down the stretch here. Yeah, well, and, and he's not available before Tuesday, but we got a you know, reigning Cy Young Award winner that is uh, your brother, Justin. It, it does feel <laughs> like, like the trade winds are swirling around the Mets, who have obviously already started the, the dismantling of the $400 million baseball club. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you want to divulge inside information, but what do you think the likelihood <laughs> is that, that, that Justin's on the move here before Tuesday? Oh, look, the second I say anything about the likelihood <laughs> of Justin moving, the world will run with it as if it's actually happening. So yeah. I, I will just say uh, it is a surprise that the Mets season has come to what it has. And, um, you know, after Justin's start the other night, he talked about it and said that the team has yet to approach him at, at all without a potential trade. And um, with a full no trade clause, they have to approach him about it. So, who knows what's going to happen? I know things change day to day, hour to hour at the trade deadline time. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I doubt he does. Uh, I'm not even sure the team knows exactly what's going to happen. And uh, but yeah, it's uh, it was it's been interesting to to watch the game last night to see David Robertson get traded and then start having the natural the natural thought as a human and as a brother of what does this mean? What does this mean for Justin? And I guess we'll find out in a few days. How close is he to, to the peak of his powers? Again, like uh, reigning Cy Young Award winner was like a, a slow start for he and Max Scherzer. Um, and yeah, the injuries delayed the start of his season. Like where where is he in, in relation to the guy that we saw last season? Yeah, I think I, I've been asked this uh, a bunch on my show. Of, is, is Justin back? And I, I think there's not many people in this world that have watched him more than myself. I guess my mom and dad are the only two because they had the benefit of <laughs> of being alive and, and birthing him, I guess. Uh, but ever since then, I don't think there's a lot of people that, that know him and how he's pitching much better. And I've, you know, all year long, I've continued to say, I just don't feel like he's back until about two or three starts ago. When uh, the big thing for me when watching him is that, you know, people aren't swinging at a slider when he throws a slider anymore. They're swinging at his slider as if they're looking at a fastball. And that's kind of been the difference for him over the last few years. And that's been back the last few starts. And uh, in the last month, he has a 1.7 ERA. In the last two months, he has a 2.4 ERA. And his ERA is now 
in the low threes on the season. So uh, I would now officially say that he is back to the Cy Young form that he's been in for a long, long time now. Yeah, uh, I think he could help <laughs> a lot of teams. Uh, no question. Ben, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. There's Ben Verlander, Fox Sports analyst, Flippin' Bats podcast, a uh, man who knows Shohei Otani better than most people in the media. See an interview with him uh, in Japan. Man, there's, there's lots of movement that has already taken place, lots of movement that will take place before Tuesday as far as like actual game breaking talent although it must also be said that the Padres appear to be on the verge of dismantling as well despite like they've got like a plus 50 run differential and there's still six games under 500 just hasn't worked out for the Padres so I mean they could turn around and and sell off Josh Hader and Blake Snell at least and maybe they revisit you know a Juan Soto deal where a lot of people were making fun of how much they gave up in trade to acquire some of those guys well what what if they turn around and like recoup some assets there? So those are impact players, and Blake Snell's been maybe the best starting pitcher in the National League. So he he would be top of the marquee when you talk about arms moving at the deadline. But who's bigger than Justin Verlander, who just won a Cy Young Award? Who I get it is in his forties now, but if Ben is correct and he looks close to the guy who was so damn dominant a season ago, how are you going to do better than acquiring him? before Tuesday's deadline. And this was always going to be the case for the Mets where they look to acquire whatever they can for anything that isn't nailed down because, you know, unlike the Padres where you're like, boy, there's too many good pieces there. How come it hasn't gone right? And there's some weirdness with the run differential that you could, in retrospect, we were kind of foolish to think that the Mets wouldn't have this happen to them considering all the aged players that they, they banked on going into this year. But here's the benefit of being Steve Cohen, besides the fact that you can, you know, that you are Steve Cohen, you have many billions of dollars, one of the richest people on the planet, going into Tuesday at least, that, okay, the the number one knock against acquiring Justin Verlander for teams is that he's owed more than 40 million bucks next season. But here's what you can do if you're Steve Cohen and you see a team like, and this is not me making this up, this team has reportedly been in on conversations involving Justin Verlander, the Cincinnati Reds who spend no money. They don't spend money outside of Joey Votto. And and Joey Votto's had to endure being a Cincinnati Red until Ellie Dela Cruz showed up and all of a sudden the the Reds are relevant again. What you can do as the Mets, understanding that it's a sunk cost anyways, and that money is, it's monopoly money to Steve Cohen, is you can say, we'll pay as much of the freight as we need to Cincinnati for you to give us the best prospect hall of anybody in conversations surrounding Justin Verlander. That's a massive, massive advantage because you've seen the converse here. The blue Jays have benefited from it where they had to give up nothing to get Francisco Liriano. Like the, the pirates said, here's a sweetener for taking Francisco Liriano's deal. You get a backup catcher. In Reese McGuire, we just want Drew Hutchison. It's not a major leaguer. They understood that at the time, or it was like a fringe guy. The opposite is going to benefit the Mets extremely before Tuesday if they say, hey, we're going to pick up 75% of what Justin Verlander is owed for the duration of his contract. Of course, as Ben rightly points out, Justin has negotiated uh, negotiated a full no-trade clause, so he would have to be approached and would have to sign off on anything. 
like uh, the Cincinnati Reds, which I don't know. Do people hate Cincinnati? I don't know if that's the case. Um, it's, it's a small ballpark, and I'm, I'm sure pitchers don't like it too much. But, yeah, the, the Reds, you can't dismiss them considering the deep pockets of Steve Cohen. So we have a Blue Jays lineup today for game one of the series. And, boy, howdy, is it interesting. Heard this speculated upon many a time. Um, but it's happened. George Springer no longer leading off. In fact, bumped all the way down to fifth in the lineup. Whit Merrifield, your new leadoff hitter. Why not with a 299 average? Uh, two through four, the same Bichette belt, Guerrero. And then George Springer hitting ahead of Matt Chapman, Dalton Varsho, Danny Jansen, Kevin Kiermeyer back in the lineup. So George Springer, not for the first time as a Blue Jays, because remember, he, you know, he's injured there for a while. And I think it was Bo Bichette was playing well as the leadoff man that he didn't usurp him right away, but then jumped back into the leadoff spot and hasn't moved since 2021. It's been a couple of years since George Springer has hit anywhere outside of the leadoff spot. And man, watch the games and, and you'll come to the same conclusion that John Schneider did that it's just not happening for him. And honestly, I'm glad it's happening. I'm glad that there is some give and take and there, there is, no feeling of, boy, George Springer's earned it and he's still, like, climbing the leaderboard when it comes to leadoff home runs, right? Like, he's, what is he, third in Major League Baseball history for leadoff home runs? That there isn't any thought of that? That eventually we got to this point? But, man, again, watch the games. This should have happened a while ago. And it doesn't mean that George Springer can't jump back up there. Like, there's, I, I also understand that there's two sides of this thing that you can't be chasing your tail a bit, right? Like, that you're... You know, you you keep hitting on 13 and you keep getting 10. So you're, I'm not going to hit on 13. And of course, it's an eight, the next card up. But I understand that you, you can't be totally reactionary and a guy has a bad game and all of a sudden you bump him down the line. But then he has a great game, you bump him back up because that's not how baseball works. You play it out over the long term. It's almost August, though. And clearly, Whit Merrifield is having pretty close to a vintage Whit Merrifield season. Not a big walk guy, but I'll, I'll take a 299 hitter at the, the top of my lineup any day. And George Springer maybe just needs a breather. Like, clearly getting frustrated, too. That's the other thing. This is a guy that's that's pretty cool, calm, and collected. And even when he's going through slumps, even it's also hilarious to think about how he started his season with a five-hit day uh, in St. Louis. And then since then, it seems like he's hit into nothing but bad luck. And he's kind of shrugged it off. But more and more recently, we're seeing a lot of throwing of the bat, little more um, obvious displeasure out of the Blue Jays' right fielder. And as a result of his uh, lack of offensive production recently, banged down the lineup just a little bit. The other thing is, too, man, like, and I know it's worked out for him throughout the course of his entire career, but swings at so many pitches early and counts. And to start the game, generally, you, you like to see your leadoff hitter work your count a little bit, foul off a couple of pitches, get everybody a, a good chance to see the starter. Um, it works when you're hitting that first pitch out of the ballpark, which, again, George Springer is one of the best in the history of the sport at doing. But the Blue Jays have hit into so many early count outs early in the game, and they're not one of the best teams at scoring runs in the first inning. Maybe this will help. At least it's a it's an attempt, and it's acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement of what we've all seen now for weeks and weeks and weeks, and 
yeah, maybe this just spurs George Springer to return to his uh, former self. All right, when we come back, we will talk to uh, Luke Fox, Sportsnet Leafs reporter, is Matt Murray's LTIR designation freeing up a whole bunch of cap space for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, we'll talk to Luke about that next. The fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fan drive time, Sports Center 590, the fan of Ben Ennis. Put a cap on the Joe Burrow thing. For now, Zach Taylor just came out and said he's out several weeks with the calf strain. And an intrepid reporter asked, uh, how long is that? He said several weeks. <laughs> so no timeline on, on Joe Burrow beyond several weeks. Well, the regular season starts in, I guess, several weeks. So we'll see. Uh, touch and go for, for Joe Burrow to be the quarterback of the Bengals week one. We know who the Toronto Maple Leafs goaltending tandem will be. Ilya Samsonov, Joe Wall, Matt Murray, an observer, LTIR. So now the Leafs go from, what, almost $8 million over the cap. Just did paltry two. That's nothing. It's a pittance. A toonie. Let's talk to Luke Fox, Sportsnet's. Leafs reporter. How's your summer, man? Thanks for doing this. Oh, happy to do it. Summer's great. Um, I was happy that you introed me with uh, some KRS-One there. I'm on a big 90s yeah. rap week. I went and saw Snoop on Wednesday. I'm going to see Ice Cube and Big Boy from Outcast tonight. So Sweet. I'm getting my, my fill of old man rap. Good for you. Snoop was in the city. I missed that. Like I, I, yeah. A lot goes past me. But yeah, that, that's big. I should have been on top of that. Good for you, man. Uh, but you're you're all over the Leafs, obviously, as well. And uh, great story on, on sportsnet.ca. It's so hard talking about this thing, too, right? And I think you did just the right amount of, like, alluding to what could be a very dubious LTIR placement. I, I don't know. Are you surprised that this is where we are? I, I, you know what? Frank Saravelli mentioned this to me early days of the offseason. I was like, well, wasn't he healthy? And But, yeah, it turns out that off he goes to LTIR. Where, where's your level of surprise? It's mild. Uh, there, there is some surprise just because we did speak to him on locker cleanout day, and the Tony Struck was one of a guy that wanted to get back on track and spend the summer training. And you know, he said he wanted to get back in playing shape and be the goalie he was during his his little hot stretch there in November and December um, when he actually you know had some good starts for the Leafs, but. You know, you look at it, you step back and say, well, what's the, the easiest solution for the Leafs? It's LTIR because there's zero hit on the cap where a buyout would have been, you know, not much this year. It would have been under a million bucks, but it would have been $2 million next season, which is when Austin Matthews and, fingers crossed, William Nylander's raises kick in. So mm-hmm. uh, two, that $2 million is probably kind of significant. The other thing is no one wants to trade for Matt Murray at this stage in his career and just with his inability to stay healthy. Uh, so it makes sense from Lee's point of view. And then when you, and when you look at it, it makes sense from Matt Murray's point of view because he would have made a little under $3 million um, or you know $4 million around there in salary on a buyout. But the way the Ottawa Senators structured his contract, he is getting $8 million to not play goal 
mm. in the 23-24 season. They backloaded it. So that's real money that, that he would have lost on, on a buyout. So it makes sense, I guess, from his point of view to just say, yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll go on LTIR because the player has to agree with it. It's not unprecedented. Uh, Shea Weber, you know, finished the yeah. end of the season for the Montreal Canadiens, and then, you know, that was the last we saw of him. I guess the big question now is, is this the end of Matt Murray? Like, he's only 29 years old. Um, can you find a doctor that, that says, you know, this guy's had a, a rough enough concussion history that he probably shouldn't be playing a contact sport? I, I think you can, and I think that's legitimate. Um, so financially, it makes sense for both parties, and, and here we are. But it I does raise a question of, of whether Matt Murray may have played his last game in the NHL. I want to get to that in just a second, but you raised a point that like I've tried to wrap my arms around and that you, you pretty succinctly put into terms that I can understand. M- Matt Murray made $5 million agreeing to LTIR as opposed to a buyout. But Matt Murray gets like $5 million more million being put on LTIR than he would have if the Leafs have bought him out. Uh, might not be five, because you got to factor in... Um, uh, I think you have to factor in what Ottawa would have to pay. So... But it'd be around four. It is significant. It's four, millions. Four. So, like, okay, and the buyout applies to what the Senators would pay as well? Like, that that would have knocked down the amount that they owed Matt Murray. So you're talking about four million bucks is the difference between Matt Murray. Like, again, Rough, you know, taking, taking the cap hit out of it to, to Matt Murray. So, like, you're telling me that this conversation could have happened. Brad Living could have come up to him and said, hey, man, we can buy you out and you can resume your career, but you're going to lose four million bucks or... Maybe you know the, you're you're really hurt, and like here's the four million bucks that you 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 wouldn't have got if we bought you out. Like that that could have happened. That that could have happened. I don't know for a fact that could have happened. No. Or Matt Murray's agent could have done the math for him, right? Like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's no secret. It, it's unfortunate, right? Like this guy, you know, had some some great moments in the NHL, yeah. it, 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 but it just he couldn't stay healthy, dude. Um, but no, but so this is comes down to money like so many things right i know this is but this is this is helpful to me because i kept wondering from his perspective why he would play ball with this and, and again like it's it's a difficult conversation because the the injuries are obviously real but at last check he was healthy he told us that i mean sheldon mm. keith said he was healthy so yeah, yeah that's what i was just that is big information to me that like yeah on a personal monetary level for matt murray this decision, this decision saves him $4 million. That, that actually makes it a lot more simple to me, honestly, Luke. Because, yeah, for the Leafs, it al- this was obviously always going to be the easiest move. Like, yeah, you don't want to – even the 800000 or whatever this year in a, in a buyout, you don't want to uh, deal with that. Like, yeah, that, this makes another sense. Thing, it also saves them some embarrassment, right? Like, these are proud athletes. Getting bought out is kind of crummy. Like, yeah. you talk to any NHL or, you know, I'm sure in other sports too, guys that get bought out, it's – it's a bit of a slap in the face, right? Like it's, it's embarrassing. So this, you know, it's, he can just quietly go on LTIR, you know, and, uh, and the, the $8 million in real dollars is another reason why he, his contract was basically impossible in a salary dump deal because mm-hmm. teams don't want to pay that much money to a guy who may or not stay healthy all year, even if, even if the Leafs attach a pick. That's a lot of money. It is. So now let, let's revisit that thing that, uh, that you were talking about, him resuming his career. Because I don't know, he's only 29, right? Like that is the difference between he and Shea Weber and, and Carey Price, who I believe had surgery after the, the cup run with the, the Habs. And like those guys were 
clearly, like on the level of of injured and career threatening injuries, the, those guys. There's no debate about those two. I don't think. But um, at 29, you would think a guy would want to at some point resume his career. Let, let let's let's just take that one that point first. Like in your recollection, is there anybody that you know of that took a year off due to injury and then returned? Uh, that's a great question. I'd, I'd really have to think about it. Uh, not off the top of my head, but yeah, uh, yeah, not off the top of my head. I mean, maybe we'll see Gabe Landeskog come back at some point. You yeah. know, I'm not writing him off. He, he's he's been in in a similar circumstance. There's a, there's been guys that have missed nearly a full year, like mm-hmm. got hurt uh, after two or three games into a season and 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 shut down and then came back. So it's it's possible. Um, but you look at it, it, the list of injuries this guy's had just the variety of them and then the amount of concussions in particular. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's tough. It's tough to see it, but maybe he, he's, he agrees to a PTO or he agrees to a million or 2 million bucks on, on a one year deal. And some team takes a flyer on him mm. with the, the price ring being reasonable. I mean, there's it, the league keeps expanding and there's not 64 goal, good goalies to go around. So it is conceivable if he wants to put in the work, that some team takes a flyer on him to be a backup the following year. You know, the other thing I was thinking about is, well, and, and you mentioned the real money maybe inhibits the potential of him being traded. Players on LTIR are eligible to be traded. So, like, I was thinking about that possibility during the course of, of this upcoming season. The other thing I was thinking about is, like, I mean, Ilya Samsonov wasn't exactly the, the, the picture of health a season ago, and, and his cap is less than, than Matt Murray's, but not that much, like about a million bucks last at three and a half compared to 4.6. Like, do you think there's a possibility we see Matt Murray in a, in a Leafs uniform again? I mean, that would be, man, there's already going to be so much scrutiny around this LTIR placement. It would be really interesting if, you know, Elias Samsonov goes down with an injury and all of a sudden Matt Murray's healthy again. But like, is that possible? Anything's possible. <laughs> uh, I, I've learned, I've learned like sometimes you think that things are certainly going to play out one way in the NHL and then there's a curveball and, and something else happens. So I'm not completing completely writing it off. Uh, it sounds like his return is far from imminent. This is a long-term deal. Uh, it, I'd, I'd be surprised put it that way. I'd be surprised if he, if he wears a Leafs uniform again, but you know what? He's on the payroll. I'm sure he's going to make use of the facilities and, and try and stay in shape. I mean, he's getting paid. He, he might as well, yeah. you know, try and, and rehab and, and get as close to game shape as possible, stay healthy. Uh, I mean, anything's possible, but I, I find it highly doubtful. Yeah. I don't know. I was just thinking about it because here's the thing. I, I think the Leafs still need another goalie, right? Like I, I, I like the idea of a healthy Joseph Wall and Ilya Samsonov as a tandem and somebody, and maybe it's Wall that outplays him, but like, yeah, you give uh, Samsonov the opportunity to, to uh, return to where he was last year to start the season. But those, those two guys, like I, I'm, reasonably confident that they they can be a pretty good tandem if they're healthy but like i already mentioned that samsonov's not been healthy look at the course of joseph wall's career not healthy like can, can the maple leafs afford not to add another goal because like even the eric shaw eric shawgren's gone right there's no more eric yeah, shawgren so so don't, don't they need to add another goalie uh it wouldn't hurt it's just you know where do you, where do you put them you're running out of cap space uh you know i I definitely would say that just because they're starting the season with these two doesn't mean these are the two going into the playoffs. Just doing the nature of injuries, the nature of the position, they are a very cost-effective tandem. Joseph Wall is is a steal 
uh, he's less than a million bucks, right? And I think the Leafs probably, quote unquote, won the arbitration case in that I think it's a very fair rate that they got for Samsonov at 3.55. So, you know, it's a very affordable tandem, but it's not a very proven tandem. Like Samsonov had a, a career year last year. I yep. thought he was act pretty much excellent when he was healthy. A couple of bouts, but, you know, every goalie goes through those. And he outdueled Andre Vasilevsky. You know, a very human-looking Vasilevsky, nonetheless. But he outdueled him and, and won a playoff series for this franchise, something that hadn't happened in a long time. So, you know, I, I think that he can, he can be a number one. But what he hasn't done is played, uh, had more than, you know, 41 starts. He hasn't even done, like, a, a, num- a true number one's workload through the course of a season yet. He's still relatively young, but he hasn't done that. Joseph Wall certainly hasn't done that. You know, he, he hasn't been through the rigors of a real NHL season yet. He, he's been down on the farm, and he had a great, great audition with the Marlies, especially last year. But, uh, you know, both of the, neither of these guys has carried the, the load. So, um, you know, the, I, I'd be surprised if they made a significant addition to the position before uh, opening night. But I think it's one of those things where you see it play out, see what other teams fall off, you know, does Nashville get desperate and really want to move Soros? Does Winnipeg get desperate and really want to move Hellebuck? But now you're like, you have to move a piece off the roster yeah. or someone has to be injured to take on a cap hit that's significant. Um, but it, it, it's going to be interesting because you're right that neither one of these guys has been an absolute number one in the NHL. So there's a bit of, there's a bit of risk there, but this is, this is what happens when you take the risk away from your, your top forward, that's where this whole team is invested money. So you, you got to pinch somewhere and they, they're pinching on, on goalies. Yeah. Hellebuck is the one, right? And it's it, it, goaltending is still Vudo, even when it comes to Connor Hellebuck, but the, he's a pretty good bet to, to be one of the best goalies in the NHL. Of course, on an expiring deal, uh, his cap hit is pretty reasonable for the elite goalie that he is at 6.1. And, and who knows if Winnipeg moves him, before the season but Leafs haven't really done that like in this in this Austin Matthews tenure they haven't like allocated a ton of resources to the position I mean would you like if you were running the Toronto Maple Leafs would that not have been a a a stronger focus for you like the most important position in the sport (laughs) yeah and and defense too I mean the Leafs have done it flipped it in reverse, right? That that old adage, build from the net on out. Yeah. Um, and Toronto has has done the opposite. They've you know spent all their money on some elite, really fun forwards, and tried to make do and find bargains on the back end and and in the crease. Um, and you know, I think this just kind of amps up the pressure on Joseph Wall because not since. James Reimer has uh, the franchise, the organization produced a goalie that sticks and stays in the NHL and contributes to the Leafs. It, it always seems like a patchwork thing um, between the pipes, at least the last you know, 10, 15 years or so. So um, I, I think there's a golden opportunity for this kid. Again, like, like everything, stay healthy. But if he can perform, and I think he has the right temperament to be a, a real NHL goalie, like the, the you know, uh, the dozen conversations I've had with him, I, I've really been impressed by his approach and his mentality. Um, and his, he's got the work ethic. So, if, you know, if he could stay healthy and, you know, 
endure the, the rigors of a, a full 82 game season. There's a lot of hope there that this guy could, could be, uh, could emerge as something. Yeah. And he's, he's under contract, not just for this season, but for next at under a million bucks, that'd be quite a thing. Hey, hey Luke, like, so Ilya Samsonov walks away just like Jack Campbell did because the Leafs uh, are not exactly banking on, on a guy over a half decade or, or so. And, you know, Joseph Wall asserts himself as the number one starter and you're, you're spending less than a million bucks in, in cap space on your goalie. Then you really got something. That's the dream. That would be Kyle Dubas's last fantastic contract that he gave the Leafs. Cause he, he you know, I, I, I'm critical of, of many of his moves, but he, he was really shrewd in buying low on Joe Wall. Yeah. He, he got him to, to sign a, a multi-year extension before he had his, his breakout season last year. So uh, kudos to Dubas for getting ahead of that. And at the time, I, I talked to Wall and he said, you know what? I, I thought it was great that they believed in me and it leaves some, some stress, <laughs> not knowing that they wanted to, to bet a few years on me. And so he's not complaining. And now it's on him. If he, if he performs, he's in for a great raise uh, coming up because uh, Murray will be off the books and Samsonov will be off the books July 1. Yep, it's true. Um, all right, speaking of contracts, and you mentioned it, William Nylander trying to hammer out an extension. It's not going so well at last check. Everything seems to have taken a pause, though, understandably so. Everybody goes away in, in the summer. Like the Austin Matthews one, it almost feels like not even worth discussing because it's it's, it's, like everybody's reporting it's going to happen. It's going to be like somewhere between 13 and 14 million per uh, on uh, a, a per year basis, a cap hit, and then you know it's how long they can get Austin Matthews to extend for. But the Nylander one is is a little bit more intriguing, Luke. Like how do how do you view training camp as a deadline? Do you view it as a deadline? Because if if it's not actually, the, there's going to be some really interesting media availabilities for you. Yeah, zero, zero. The only deadline in William Nylander's mind is July first. Like otherwise, he's under contract for, with the Maple Leafs. I, I, there is no pressure on the player's side. Mm-hmm. The only way there's a deadline is if, and, and I don't sense that he's done this, but it is if Brad Tree Living gives Nylander and his agent some sort of ultimatum yeah. and says, you either take this, this is our best and, and final offer, or we're going to trade you. That's, that's the only way. And I, I don't, to my knowledge, that hasn't happened. They're, they're not looking hard at the trade route. They know he has tons of value on the trade market if they were to go that route. But from my understanding, they're still just trying to hammer away and, and find some, some common ground. But Nylander, you know, the, be- the best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. Mm-hmm. Nylander's willing to, willing to take this thing right down to the wire. And his agent is Louis Gross, who represented Johnny Gaudreau uh, going against Brad for living in those negotiations in Calgary. So he is, is also the type to take things down to the wire. Nylander is a confident guy. And if he looks around the room and says, yeah, I don't want to be paid, you know, 4 million less than Austin, or I don't want to be paid the X less than, than Marner. I want to be, you know, in that stratosphere. That's his right. And whether it, it, it serves the Maple Leafs or the nervous fan base best, that doesn't really matter. And he has kind of the temperament of a guy who will do what's, what's best for him. He's a confident guy. I think he believes he's due for a monster raise. He's coming off the best year of his life. He actually shows up in the playoffs, yep. produces points. You know, it, it, it comes down to, to me, it comes down to how you view it. Like, I think it's every player's right to get 
every dollar they can. They have to wait a long time to get to unrestricted free agency the way the CBA is set up. It really favors the team in, in their early years. So it's their right to do it. The catch is if, if you, every player does it and every player just happens to play forward, it really handcuffs uh, the general manager who's trying to build a team that can win a championship. And I think ultimately this is going to come down to Trey Living and say, how much do you really love Willie's skill? And even if you love it, is that necessary going forward to build the best team? Mm-hmm. It, it's no slight on Nylander, but is the, could that money be used elsewhere to build a more complete and deeper team? Yeah, and is it worth you know losing him in the at the conclusion of this upcoming season to to play him out for for eighty two games and then whatever postseason run at the good cap hit that he has? Like when I'm talking about deadlines, like what what do you think about training camp as a deadline for Brad for living, or do you think he's just despite the Johnny Goodrow comparison and, and the nightmare that that turned into in Calgary, do you think he's comfortable letting him walk? No, I, 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 yeah, I don't think he is. I don't think he is. I think the real deadline is the trade deadline. Hmm. That's the real deadline. Boy, but like, that's, can the, can the Leafs for, trade for William Trinity. Nylander at the, at the deadline? If they're like, you know, in first in the Atlantic division. It's a great question. <laughs> it depends if they feel like, what does the defense look like? Like, are they first with, with one of the better de- defenses in the league? Mm. Or are they first playing a, a not very playoff-like style? Mm. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, we're getting into hypotheticals here, but I, I do think that's, that, that's the real pressure point. I'd be surprised if, if training camp is any sort of deadline for either side here. Yeah, it's good. It's about to get interesting. Still got a lot of summer to go. A lot, a lot of concerts yeah. still to attend, Luke. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be yeah. fun for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying your summer, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, trying to do some non-hockey things. All right. Thanks for having me on, Ben. All right. Thanks, Luke. See ya. There's Luke Fox, Sportsnet's Leafs reporter. Okay, if that's the case, like if Brad Drew Living doesn't want to walk him into the free agency and doesn't just look at the one year at, you know, Celta's seven million bucks and cap it for a forty goal scorer, eighty point guy, as just you know, that's that's what you're getting. He looks at that as not enough, and then freeing up that cap space at the end of the season. That's that's not how you sustain a winning franchise going forward. I for me, you can't wait until the deadline. That's nuts. <laughs> because beyond that, like, yeah, what if Nylander's turned into a you know fifty goal scorer? What if he's the the engine of this Leafs offense outside of Austin Matthews and you're in first no and he also does have a limited no trade clause right and be hell of a time for him to enact that like what if he's like nah I actually think we can win a Stanley Cup here with me leading this offense and I won't go to one of those 10 teams that's offering you this this hypothetical defenseman that you want no if that's in the cards if 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 in fact Brad Living has seriously contemplated that possibility of trading William Nylander in season next year, boy, that's nuts. Got to trade him before the regular season. And and for me, if that's happening, you got to trade him before training camp. But honestly, I'd probably just play it out. I'd just let him play. Um, I'd, I'd do the best you could to win a division title for the first time outside of the North Division and then, you know, See if you have the better goaltender in the postseason, which basically is who determines who wins in the National Hockey League. All right. It's Blue Jays baseball coming your way tonight. 
Oh, by the way, not a Sportsnet game on Apple TV. So it's not Sportsnet's choice, okay? But yeah, don't get upset. Um, Blair and Barker have you coming up next as Lucas Giolito gets his first start as a member of the Angels. Kevin Gossman on the mound for the Blue Jays. No George Springer atop the lineup for the first time since 2021. Whit Merrifield, new leadoff hitter for the Toronto Blue Jays. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. I'll be back on Monday. This has been the Fan Drive Time. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.